This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this Bulls Beat, we will give you some all-conference football news, some big college football news, and of course, we are waiting for the big news when it comes to who will be the USF football coach. If you haven't figured it out by now, it would appear anyway as though the action this weekend, which may or may not involve you know some candidates for the Bulls job, could be still coaching their teams in games. And of course, next week we are actually planning on not doing Bulls beat because there's no basketball or anything like that, but you know, I have a feeling we might be doing a show or two or some live programming early in the week for sure, anticipating some coaching news coming down this weekend and of course have it for you on Monday. But yesterday, the American announced its postseason football honors. The player of the year offensively was Ty J. Spears, the running back from Tulane. Had similar stats to our own Brian Batty, but you can understand, of course, Spears was on the team that is in first place in the league at 7-1, 10-2. Had 1,177 rushing yards and led the league with 14 touchdowns. The guy the Bulls actually held down defensively, otherwise had a phenomenal year and was the defensive player of the year, Ivan Pace. Junior, as he had 120 tackles, 19 and a half for a loss, and nine sacks among those. Mason Fletcher, the fantastic punter for Cincinnati, was the special teams player of the year. And rookie of the year was E.J. Warner, the quarterback for Temple. Remember, he kind of went off against the Bulls. Well, he kept on going off. He threw 63 passes the other day in a wild game against East Carolina. And he had a phenomenal season, as it turned out. 527 yards, five touchdowns in that final game ended up with more than 3,000 yards passing. The coach of the year, Willie Fritz. Boy, the coaching news has been interesting. It seems like Georgia Tech wanted Fritz, but wanted to get the announcement done like now before the conference championship game. And Fritz wanted to focus on winning the conference championship against UCF. That's quite something. If you go to theamerican.org, you can get everybody on the first and second teams. The one bowl on the first team. There's a little irony here. Jimmy Horn Jr., who is, well, no longer a bull as he entered the transfer portal this week, but was named the first team return specialist, which was, you can see, kind of an allotment to just get him on there because he, he only had seven kickoff returns all year long, and one was for a touchdown. But as you know, he does more than just return kicks. He is a phenomenal playmaker, 37 catches, 551 yards, and three touchdowns. On the second team, Brian Batiu, who was second in the league, in rushing yards per game, but got edged out by Keaton Mitchell on the first team. I think Brian Batiste should have been first team, frankly, but hey, second team honors she'll take. Xavier Weaver, who missed the last few games for the season, we're speculating possibly that he could be in the transfer portal, but what he did for the Bulls was fantastic. Career bests of 53 catches, 718 yards, and six touchdowns. He finished with 1,735 career yards. It's fourth all-time at USF and sixth all-time in actual receptions with 116. So Dwayne Boyles, they didn't find a spot on the second team for him, which is just kind of ungodly, but hey, Boyles and Brad Cecil, the veteran member of that offensive line, both get honorable mention when it comes to the American Athletic Conference. If you want to drive on by the school, and I'm sure you know you maybe peek around and see if there's anything going on, but if the new coach has been there this week, he has also seen some new adornment to the east side of the huge indoor performance facility, which in itself, as we know, is a pretty impressive help 
to get a coach to come to USF, and now it actually has that enormous USF Bulls iconic U logo on it, green with gold and white trim, and it says South Florida on that east side. Pretty awesome site. And oh yeah, breaking news. Didn't mean to get you excited by saying breaking news, but it is going to be a pretty important hire, and now there's the even more added, I don't want to say pressure, but specter of what is to come as far as the chances for the Bulls to make the college football playoff and for the American and for everybody to have better access as apparently last night, whatever the Rose Bowl needed to do to get in line with everybody else in the college football playoff committee, it did. And now we are going to have, reportedly, not next season, but the one after, and that's close enough if you ask me, a 12-team playoff. I guess the Rose Bowl wanted to keep the New Year's Day 5 o'clock spot for its game, but who knows how the Rose Bowl and any bowl, frankly, is going to fit into everything. It looks like the general idea is first rounds on campus sites and then bowl games, the quarterfinals and the semifinals. I actually would prefer a system, and whatever happens, 12 teams is better than what we got now, so I'll take it. But for two reasons, I would like the quarterfinals also to be on campus sites. One is it really entices even further the better teams, the ones that are you know already automatically pretty much in the playoff to win their conference championships, if we still have conference championship games. In other words, be motivated at the end of the season because not only getting a bye, but getting to be at home for a game, one win away at home from being in the semifinals, in other words, is a major, major deal to me. And I also just think it's awkward. You'd have four teams playing in two bowl games. I don't know if that would dilute the bowl experience too much. In fact, I think it would be very awkward. And I know what's happening right now is, to some people anyway, an argument against expansion, namely that a lot of these conference championship games aren't going to have meaning because Georgia, win or lose, is going to make the playoffs, etc. Well, I would argue just the opposite in an expanded playoff because that top four designation is going to be so important. And if you disagree with that, if you think the end of the regular season, in fact, the entire regular season just won't have the same meaning because there'll be too many teams. First of all, try and think about somebody outside of the power conferences and think about some of the teams that are on the fringe. There'll be so many more important games because so many more teams can get it in the playoff. But as far as specifically that top level and maybe, you know, the SEC championship game, both teams are going no matter what. I'll give you a comparison to the NFL. First of all, do you not watch the NFL the last two weeks of the season? I didn't think so. Of course you do. Let's say the Vikings and the Packers are both with two weeks to go. They've already wrapped up a playoff spot. They're playing each other. Two weeks to go, they're both 12-3. and three. The winner wins the division, first round by, and with a win the next week would be the number one seed and get home field, of course, throughout up until the Super Bowl. The loser has to be the fifth, maybe the sixth seed, and would have to go the road route. Yeah, telling me that Vikings-Packers game is not important. That's why I think this 12-team playoff number is perfect. You got the buys, and I wouldn't mind seeing those quarterfinals actually being on home sites, but we will find out soon enough, which is good news to me. We did not do a show yesterday, so we'll give you a few highlights from the basketball game, a 73-67 to loss to UMass. Now, as we saw with the women's team in Estero, sometimes a five, or in this case, six-point margin can be misleading as actually both semifinals of that event were five-point games, but Michigan and Baylor were tied with a minute to go, and the Bulls were only down a point with 20 seconds to go. Well, this time the Bulls were down by 14 and ended the game on a little 10-2 run, but the first half, it's not like the Bulls didn't come out of the gate strong. Try 10-3. to Miguel out to Harris, long distance, three, good! He answers it, and 90 seconds in, the Bulls have their first bucket. 
Tyler Harris looks like a new player, or, a, or maybe an old player. He's <laughs> making his threes. Levesque, three ball, misses, long rebound. Sam Hines has another rebound. Here come the Bulls in transition, passes left side. Conroll to the basket, up and under move, foul, count it! The freshman challenged the UMass defense. He kept going to the basket. The harm comes in a chance for a three-point play. Wow, the freshman went to the hole with authority and draws the foul. Ryan Conwell continues to impress. Weeks fires it into the paint and it's stolen. Here's Harris back the other way. Three ball to counter. Sam Hines got the steal and Harris with his second three. That was one of those no, 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 yes <laughs> shots. I was wondering what's he doing shooting from that far out, but it went in. Three-pointers would be a big difference in this game, as would be turnovers. UMass committed 20, the Bulls 17, and the Bulls would get 21 points off those turnovers. But the three-point line, you just heard Tyler Harris make two quickly en route to a 10-3 advantage. He would finish three for eight. The team would finish four for 16, so that did not keep going. But it was still a wild first half as far as runs went. And it's volleyballed into the hands of Russell Chiwa. Bulls finally get a stop. 10-15 to go. Keyshawn Bryant to the basket. Finger oh. roll is good. He snaked his way through the defense, and that stops a 13-0 run. Welcome back, Keyshawn Bryant, with a spectacular finger roll move inside and got the Bulls back on the board. Chapel slashes in the paint. Cross court, man wide open. Keyshawn Bryant puts it on the floor. Round two guys off the window, and he runs over a guy. Joey had a wide open shot on the perimeter, and instead he takes it into contact and commits a foul. The Bulls are just making wrong decision after wrong decision right now. Four turnovers in the last two and a half minutes. Here's a pass nearly taken away by UMass. Out to Sam Hines. He's going to stop and pop from 16 straight on. That's good. And the Bulls needed that in the worst way. Kick out, three ball weeks. That one rattles out, and the fight for the rebound is controlled by Selton Miguel. Brian Gregory said, let's go, let's go. Miguel is going to drive down the paint, around a man, off the window and in. A tough angle, and boy, did he throw that in off the window hard. It's 19 to 18. Miguel loves that driving layup from the right side, that driving bank shot, and that one went in. Diggins going to fire a three. That's an air ball long and a rebound by Selton Miguel. Gets it to Tyler Harris. Bulls trying to run. It's a four on four. Here's Harris between the legs, behind the back. Stops and pops from 17. Yes, Tyler Harris putting all the repertoire moves out there, and the Bulls have taken the lead. Though it didn't last, I definitely wanted to include the go, go, go part of that because this team is trying to get out in transition. Six of those eight during that 8-0 run were fast break points, just like points off turnovers. The Bulls got 21 off turnovers. It was 21-19 favor of UMass as far as fast break points go. But as far as the end of the first half went, not a good one for the Bulls as UMass would end it. First of all, answering that 8-0 with a 9-0 of itself, 28-20, and then it would be 40-25 as the Bulls went cold from the field. Only made one field goal in the last six and a half minutes. In fact, one field goal after that run. And this is the only sequence you really need to hear from the second half as the Bulls got into it and then left UMass wide open for some threes. You'll hear the sequence followed by Head coach Brian Gregory. UMass is leaving the door open yes. for the Bulls to come back. The Bulls so far are refusing to do it. Trey Moss in the game for USF. 12 minutes left to go. Bulls down 11. Corey Walker on the handle. Picks up his dribble. Now to Selton Miguel. Baseline move. Pushes off on Fernandez. Backdoor cut. Sam Hines catches it and laid it in. I think that was headed for Jameer Chaplin. And Hines cut in front of it and stuck it in. Steps through. Jump hook left hand. Didn't fall. Rebound. Selton Miguel on the backside. Here comes Selton. Dribbles right down the paint. Euro steps. Kicks it in the corner. Moss open for three. Let's fly. Good! The sophomore from Windermere 
knocks that one down, and what a big shot that is. His first make from beyond the arc this year. Somehow the Bulls have got it down to six with Moss from the three-point the, on the right corner. He buries it. 8-0 run for the Bulls. Here's a three by UMass, and just like this happened all season long in this building, when the Bulls put together a big run, it's a three that gets the other team back in it. Corey Walker from straight down 15 feet. Couple dribbles, goes to work on Conte. Gets down to the block, ball fake. Here comes double teams, cross-court pass. Sam Hines crosses over, gets into the paint, bounce pass to Walker. He's open, two-hand dunk. Sam, dribble penetration, laid it off for Walker, and he flushed it. 50-43, to 43, Bulls have scratched and clawed their way back in it. All right, here we go. Again, 50-43, UMass leads. 10-10 to go in this second half. Russell Chiwa back on the floor for USF, playing with three fouls. We'll keep an eye on that. Here's Luis to the free throw line, dumps a pass inside. This is Levesque. He got free, missed an easy layup down low. There's a box out on USF, and they're going to call the Bulls for the foul. Corey Walker did exactly what he's supposed to do. Drove the man out from underneath the basket, and he got whistled for it. Boy, if you can't do that on defense, you don't have a chance of keeping people off the glass. So Corey Walker and Chiwa now with three fouls each. Diggins looking to throw it in for UMass, finally does on the four count. Here's Luis, junior three ball, corner pocket, good. Boy, that is enormous. The Chiwa hands off to Keyshawn Bryant. Thought about the baseline move. Stops and pops from 17 off the rim. Backside rebound by UMass. Here come the Minutemen. Bulls still shooting 57% in the second half. Levesque straight on. going to shoot another three. He hits another three. Had none this season. He's made two today. Left wide open at the top of the key. Now the Bulls will answer with a timeout. And UMass up by 13. But just some um, amazing stats in terms of, again, we forced 20 turnovers and outscoring by seven at, from the turnover rate, 21 to 14. We're only outscored two points in the paint. We get uh, 13 offensive rebounds, eight in the second half, outscoring from the second chance, nine to five. Fast break points were minus two, 21-19. Uh, we get to the, we make three more points at the free throw line. With those stats, you, you usually don't lose, but the, the, our Achilles heel right now is our ability to guard the three. That's just the bottom line. They scored uh, 18 points in the second half from the three, 18 of the 33 points from the three. Uh, we just have, we gotta really get better at the urgency to, to go out there and, and, and guard guys, you know what I mean? We gave up, we cut it to six, and we gave up two straight threes. One on a missed coverage, one on a missed coverage on the baseline out of bounds, and just no ur no urgency there. So that's something that we got to really work on because it's been the difference in every game. I went ahead and probably shouldn't have done this, but dug up Wildens Levesque's three-point history at South Carolina. He's a 6'10 center. He played for Frank Martin for three years at South Carolina, did a nice job, averaged around a handful of points and rebounds per game, and his third year last year was in every game starter. In his three years at South Carolina, Wildens Levesque from three-point land was 0 for 0. That's right. Those were his two first career makes from three-point land. So you got to feel a little bit snake-bitten, but in general also, yes, you can't just bemoan the fact that, hey, the other team is having guys make threes when they're wide-open threes. South Carolina was 9 for 21. So UMass was 73 for 67, by the way. Levesque did have 11 points and 10 rebounds the traditional way with his rebounding on the Bulls' side, even though they lost and now 2-6 and six on the season. One overwhelming positive was the fact that 
Keyshawn Bryant was able to get back on the court. I don't want to give away too much inside information here, but there was definitely concern that he would not be able to play for the Bulls again this year. So that was great. He scored six points, 13 minutes. I'm sure he'll get on the court for a few more minutes. At least let's hope that's the case tomorrow night against Charleston Southern. Selton Miguel's been great, but he turned it over seven times. Did have 12.6 rebounds, six assists. Tyler Harris just six for 18 after that hot start. Led the Bulls again with 15 points. Tomorrow night, they play Charleston Southern at home. The women are at Texas. We'll give you a full recap on tomorrow's show. But that'll wrap up this abbreviated Bulls Beat. Thanks for checking it out. I'm Derek Sharp.